Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. How are we doing? All right. Good. Um, I'd like to just start by introducing my family. This is my queen and my princess, my wife Mary and my daughter Amaya. That was our Christmas picture last year. And um, they are truly uh, the joy of my life. Amaya right now is four and is in that four-year-old phase. (laughs) The joy of my life on occasion is not so joyful, but overall, I can say she is the joy of my life. Um, I just wanted you to get a little bit of sense of of who I am and where I speak out of um, as I come to you this morning, because you guys don't know me. Um, And as you can see, my family, we are an interracial family, and um, a strong part of the passion that, that I have with my ministry is helping churches really learn how to connect with with ethnically diverse and economically diverse communities, is, is, is helping churches to realize not, how not just to reach them, but also to reflect that kind of diversity in their bodies, in the body of Christ, um, and to, to really live that out well as they participate in God's mission in that community. Uh, and that's the whole key, is, is, is how do churches participate in God's mission? You know, as I... Um, as Pastor John mentioned, I, I work for a ministry called CRM. That stands for Church Resource Ministries. And I lead a ministry called Urban Mosaic, which is basically, as you can get from the name, about that, the, the, the mosaic or the diversity of the city. And how do we go about raising up leaders who will lead their ministries and their congregations into participating with God's mission in those diverse cities? Garden Grove, the greater L.A. area, is one of those diverse cities. If you've looked around, I know as I drove down the street on the way here this morning, we live in Lakewood, Long Beach area. And, you know, I saw all kinds of different street signs, some in Arabic, uh, some in Chinese, and some in various other languages I didn't recognize, and some in English. And so you guys are in somewhat of a diverse area. And so part of what I want to talk to you about is, is important to you because um, I know that as you guys have been on this journey, as Pastor John has shared, and, and as you've been really talking the last few months about what it means to participate in God's kingdom work, and in, in, in Jesus announcing the coming and the, and the presence of the kingdom of God, what does that mean for Living Spring? Now, you need to understand that a big part of the reason why I do what I do is because churches all across America struggle to do just that struggle to participate in God's mission in their communities, especially in their communities that are diverse. Churches sit around trying to figure that out. The result has been that 80% of churches in America right now as I speak are in decline and have been in decline for the past 10, 15, 20 years. As the population in the country has gone up and as the population has become more diverse, both ethnically, economically, and religiously, uh, the church has been doing this. So that almost every significant denomination in the United States, except for the Southern Baptists, are in decline. And I'd say that a large part of the Southern Baptists um, maintaining that place is they have a lot of babies. (laughs) But 80% of churches and and, and, and all but one denomination in America are in decline as the population raises. On top of that, 
1,500 pastors every single year leave the ministry across the nation. And it's not all um, in situations like Ted Haggard or Jimmy Swaggart. Oftentimes, it's simply burning out or being frustrated with their inability to lead their congregations into effective mission with the community. And they get tired of doing maintenance and, and, and getting beat up by people and beating themselves up and feeling like they, they can't hack it, and they leave. And so that's a large part of what I do, is I come alongside these pastors and leaders, hopefully before it's too late, and help them to learn how to lead in a new way. In a way that can re-engage their church with their community, in such a way that their church can have the kind of impact that they got into ministry with for in the first place. Most of us don't get into ministry dreaming, God, I hope I can pastor a church of declining, aging people who someday will all die and leave us with nothing. You know, I mean, I didn't get into ministry for that reason. I mean, I love people of all ages, but my goal is not to see my church get older and older with me, and then as we all die, the church dies, you know? Most pastors get into ministry because we want to see our congregations make a significant impact in the community so that God's reign is manifested and expands to people who don't know Him. That's the reason the church is here in this community, in every community, to be a sign of God's kingdom. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen often. I want to direct your your, um, attention to another picture. This picture is a church of a a world-famous pizzeria in downtown Manhattan called John's Pizzeria. John's Pizzeria sits right off Times Square. Incredible. As you look at me, I know you know I like food. (laughs) And I really love me some good pizza. Oh. And when... My team and I went to John's Pizzeria uh, about a year, year and a half ago. We went there. We'd heard about this place. I was pumped. I'm excited. I'm like, this is awesome. Some of the best pizza in the world. And so we're there and we're eating. And, and as you can see this place, it's just incredible. It's this, you see this big swooping balcony that goes all the way around the, the place. It's this big mural that's on the big wall here. And it's just you know, filled with pizza at every level and tables of pe- people just enjoying that pizza. Every, every floor is just packed. And as we're sitting there, our New York uh, ministry teammate starts telling us the story of this place and how John's Pizzeria came to be. And I realize in this story that this pizza place used to be a church. You can tell by the architecture looking at it that, you know, it, it, it used to be a church. And this is actually the church where the Christian and Missionary Alliance founder, the CMA denomination, uh, the founder and one of the key early revivalist preachers in America in the late 1800s, early 1900s, right up through the 20s, A.B. Simpson preached at this church. This was his church. It was one of the largest, most thriving, and most effective congregations of that time. And here we are, 80, 70 years later. I think it closed down and sold to John's Pizzeria sometime in the 50s or 60s. This pizza, this, this, this church is no longer. It has become a pizza place. This is not an uncommon story across America. I'm sure many of you have driven around Cyprus or different places in the L.A. area, and you've driven by what looks like it's going to be this grand, majestic church, and you come up to it, and it's an art gallery. Or it's a museum. Or it's a school. Or it's a strip mall. 
or it's a renovated housing project with a community center. All over the place. And the question that I ask is, what's up with this? Why are so many churches in decline in America and in danger of becoming pizza places? Why is this happening? What I'd actually like you to do right now for about one minute is turn to your neighbor and answer that question. Answer the question, why are so many churches declining and in danger of becoming pizza places? And then I'd like you to also, in that time, and it's only a minute, so just be brief. Some of you like to talk. This isn't the time. Share and let the other person share and answer quickly why so many churches are in decline from your perspective and in danger of becoming pizza places, and is there a solution? What's, what's the answer to this problem? Go ahead. Talk amongst yourselves. Thank you. That, that's great. You know what? What I want to propose to you is that there is some truth in each of those statements in, in, in some way, that all of those answers together don't actually themselves even come up with the whole answer because it's a complex question uh, with, with complex answers. But that um, I believe scripturally that there is... Um, there is a passage that we're going to dive into here in a minute in Jeremiah 29 that really speaks to me to the heart of the issue. It, it really kind of lays out the problem of why this occurs and the solution. The reality is, from my perspective and from the experience that I've had with churches around Southern California and throughout the nation, is that what happens is that churches begin to decline over time as they lose focus on connecting vitally with their communities and start to focus inward on themselves. When the church becomes more about me, my family, and my needs, our needs, meeting the needs of our youth and children, of our marriage, the church slowly begins to turn its focus from here to here. And that that actually lies at the heart of many of the problems. That all of the things you mentioned are actually important because we do need to, to, to be relevant. We need to to. to, to, to to have the gospel lived out in a way where people feel welcome, not judged, uh, pursue God with depth and passion, all of those things. But the reality is, if it becomes all about me going deeper with God, then I've missed the mark. And so, what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about this issue, because I don't know about you, but I believe that America has enough pizza places. As much as I love them, uh, I think America's in need of more churches and has enough pizza places. So let's turn to Jeremiah 29. I'm going to be reading swiftly, so if, you, if you're not there, just, just listen and, and that's fine. I'm going to read starting in verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and other skilled workers, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. <laughs> Try reading that a couple times real quick. It said... This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to finish that passage a little later in the message. I think that as I read this passage and as you listen to this passage, something that jumps out very strongly to me is that the solution to churches becoming pizza places in America is the same that it was then. And that's that there needs to be a radical shift in the posture that we as churches and we as God's people take towards our community. A radical shift. See, because here's the reality. God connects the future and the hope of His local churches to their willingness to bless their communities, according to this passage. Let me read verse 7 for you one more time. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The heart of that passage and that verse right there says that our well-being, our success, or our prosperity as a church, as a people, and even uh, implications-wise, me as a Christian and with my family, is tied to the well-being of those who live in my community, where my church is placed, where I live. My prosperity and my church's prosperity is tied to the city's prosperity. Now understand what I'm saying here. When the Bible here says peace and prosperity, it's not talking strictly about wealth or money, or having a successful business. What it's talking about is the concept of the word that you hear Jewish people and a derivative of that, of that word that you hear Islamic people saying to one another. Jewish people should say, Shalom. Many of you have heard that, right? A Jewish person will say, Shalom, and you get a Shalom. And it basically means, peace be upon you. And uh, Muslim people, you'll hear say, Assalamu Alaikum. Same word. Peace be upon you. Same greeting, but in an Arabic derivative. They come from the same root word, same Semitic kind of base. And it carries this connotation of things being not just this, this sense of sort of fuzzy well-being. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel so serene. Oh, peaceful. I really love that song. Oh. You know, and I, it's not that kind of peace when it's peace be upon you. It's it's, it's actually seeking the restoration of, of the way things were designed to be for you. It's restoring you into wholeness of how God intended you to be. It's restoring things to the way God originally designed and wanted them. It's, it's this complete sense and state of restoration and wholeness that goes way beyond what we hear when we hear peace or when we hear prosperity. It's this powerful statement and image. And, and get this. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is telling the exiles to seek this for their enemies. The Babylonians who have just carried them into exile, who have 
basically destroyed their city, killed their families and friends, carried off only the choice people that they wanted that felt they were worthy to bless the Babylonian community. They carried them off and then just left the rest of the cast-offs back in Jerusalem. The ones that they didn't kill in the battle. And now here's Jeremiah saying, seek their peace and prosperity. Just bless them. I don't know about you, but if it's me and I'm sitting here and I'm just experiencing this, I'm kind of like, what are you talking about? False prophet! Get away! You know, because I'm not wanting to hear that. I'm wanting to hear, thus saith the Lord, the Babylonian pigs will be destroyed. I'm going to crush their heads. Or in the words of an old famous show, I'm going to crush their heads like this. I won't even go there to that show. Some of you who have been around know that show. But that's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear, oh, just pray that all would go well with them and really work so that the Babylonians would prosper. They're, they're not trying to hear that. They're wanting vengeance. They're, they're, they're miserable. But here he is. Jeremiah is telling them, don't lead a passive, latent life in the city. Just, don't just wait in the city and just do your thing until the time has passed when I'm going to smote you know, the, the, the Babylonians and destroy them and pay them back for this. He says, seek their peace and prosperity. Wow. Unbelievable. The interesting thing is he doesn't stop there. He he says, pray for them. He also says, I'm skipping ahead of slide, I'm sorry about this. But he says, God is actually the cause of their misery. The exiles are not there because of the Babylonians. Look, he says this twice in this passage. Verse 4, this is what the Lord says to all those I carried into exile. And down below, he says it again. He says it twice. That usually means God is trying to make a point. I did this to you. I carried you into exile. I got to ask, this doesn't sit well, not only with the Israelites, but this doesn't sit well with my and probably your theology of comfort that we have been raised and acculturated with in the, in the Western church. The theology that says God is all about my pleasure and joy and happiness. And that if I follow Jesus... Things are going to get better. Things are going to be fun. Live the abundant life of John 10.10. Right? That's how I was saved with that message of your life sucks. You're miserable. Come to Jesus. and Everything's going to be better. Cool! Right? And I, boom, I dove head on in because I'm miserable. Now, let's be honest. You know what? I mean, God radically transformed my life and really removed the guilt, the shame that I was experiencing, uh, all of the stuff that I was doing, and really, I mean, came through in a lot of those ways where, I mean, my life was filled with a sense of purpose. It was filled with joy. I got rid of guilt and shame, and I was starting to live a new life. But it wasn't perfect. There were still issues. And what I came to realize after a lot of pain was that, oh, some of this stuff that's either self-inflicted is here, and some of the stuff that others inflict upon me is here, but the reality is sometimes God lets me go through stuff and takes me through stuff that I don't really like very much because He's trying to teach me something. 
ouch, I don't like that message. My church doesn't like that message. You know, the reality is a lot of churches that are struggling, God will allow them to go through years of pain and struggle and confusion and, God, what are you trying to do? The church that I pastored at for four years in Long Beach was like that. It had been declining for 15 years and refused to acknowledge that maybe God was in this and trying to teach us something. And this position, this pastoral position that I was in caused me so much misery because I was brought in as a change agent. We need to engage the community. And, and, and people were speaking the language, and we know we got to do this stuff. And, and then I got there, I started pastoring, and about eight months in I realized what they really meant was we'd love for people to come. We just don't want to do anything differently than we are right now. So please, come be like us. But don't get me out of my comfort zone and say, I have to go to them or that I might have to change or give up my favorite program to make it happen. This is characteristic of almost all of the 80% of churches in America that are in decline. Many of you may have had this experience in the past, maybe even here. I know that you guys haven't always been on this upswing that, that you've been on in the last few years of things going really well and a sense of excitement and Some of those things could have contributed. I don't know. I don't know your history. I don't know where you're at. But I do know that this is common, that it happens. Because the reality is, and now I'm going back to the previous slide. Sorry, brother, for messing with you. But because God has a heart for the lost, for the broken, and the disenfranchised, and His desire is for His church to participate with Him in His his pursuit of them. That is what God is all about. Chasing broken, lost people so that He can reform them into the way He originally created them to be in the loving environment of His community of kingdom people. That is what's at God's heart. That's actually at the heart of why I started Urban Mosaic. Because I said, you know what, God? There's more to church than coming on Sunday. There's more to church than coming and singing some really cool songs with a great worship leader and hearing a really good message and then walking out the door and by Monday I forget what he said. And then I go through the week and I come back to get recharged. There's more to church than that. And I think some of you have that sense. And here's the reality. There is. I've been giving you a lot of doom and gloom here for the first 25 minutes or so of this. And some of you people are sitting here going, make it stop. Make it stop for the love of everything that is holy, please. Oh, you know, you're just demoralized. But the reality is, the heart of this passage is actually what comes from verses 10 on. The hope that when God's people recapture God's missional heart for their community and partner with His redemptive activities, He promises a hope-filled future. Hear this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. 
I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, when, when, when churches recapture God's missional heart for the lost and the broken and the disenfranchised, and they truly begin to move into a place of participating with Him as He goes and sends and is engaging all around us, that's where He promises here that the church will begin to experience the, the hope and the joy of the existence that God promised them. And for local churches around America that have begun to swing back and have gotten out of the 80% cycle and have turned into the 20% cycle of moving back into that place, this is what's happened in almost all of those situations, other than the rare exception where they've hired some really you know, big-time speaker, pastor like Charles Swindoll and decided that they, their job was to attract all the Christians around in the city and steal them from other churches. Right? That's a great church growth strategy. It's just not a great kingdom impact strategy. Because a lot of the churches that do that, they're really not accomplishing anything other than giving people good Bible studies on Sunday morning and sending them out on their merry way feeling great about themselves. And I'm not trying to bag on, 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 on some of the bigger churches because there's some big churches that are doing incredible kingdom work. But there are just as many who are not, who are just doing their Sunday thing and trying to attract a crowd. The reality is God has designed His people not to sit and say, please come to us. He's designed His church and His people to say, go to them. The Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples, translated badly, Actually, what it should be translated is, is as you go, right? It's, an, it's, a, it's a participle, and it's called what's an aorist participle. And you're what that signifies is ongoing action from a specific point in the past. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. The only command in that whole statement is actually make disciples. The go is really an assumption. It's as you're going. That's the way the church has been designed. And so, this is the key to the future of the church. And I think really what there is is three simple things that this passage says that I'm going to go through really quickly because I'm late again. Dang, I just can't stay on time. Um, and I'm going to go through really quickly that really capture the heart of what it means to seek the peace and prosperity of the city that you're in. The first is this, is pray for your city. In verse 7, it says, Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now imagine again, the exiles are probably not receiving this well, right? Pray for these Babylonian heathens, these jerks. Uh, So it's not saying, just pray for those poor lost souls out there. God, just save them. That's actually not what he's saying. He's saying, pray for the peace and prosperity of the city. What that means is actually changing your prayer posture to a place of saying, God... Would you just bless the people in this city in such a way that your glory is manifested in their lives? That as things change for them, that, that things could, they couldn't help but see you working in this. It's not just a pray to, oh God, keep my child safe or keep my spouse out of temptation to not do this again. It's a prayer of saying, God, how can we make a difference as your people in the body of Christ. And so the question that relates to this for you is, 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 what, is what would it look like if, if, God, if Living Spring creatively 
participated in God's mission and it began with prayer. What would that look like? What is God calling Living Spring to participate in? The only way you can know that is by beginning with a base of prayer and really seeking, you know, your, your mission statement, which I love out there, the, the reach, restore, and re- respond to the Spirit's leading is really what this is about. It's about praying and seeking what God is up to and then responding to the Spirit's prompting so that you can reach out and restore people to the way God intended them to be. That is so cool. Such a cool mission statement you guys have come up with here. That is so awesome. Because it captures God's heart for Garden Grove. So pray for that. Pray for how God wants you to impact your city. Pray for those in your city. Pray for those serving the city. Pray for people, self-serving little highlight here, for people like my family, other missionaries you know, people who are engaged in the urban areas, not just in China or Africa or South America, but right here, trying to build up churches to do kingdom work. Pray for us, because we need that. We're, we're in spiritual warfare every day. Second thing, the G word, give. <laughs> give financially. Give to your church so that your church can continue to expand the work of God amongst your community. Don't just give and expect stuff for you, but give and expect nothing in return other than God's reign will be manifested. Homeless will be served. Foodless will be given food. Given given shelter. Clothing. That gang violence, people will be engaging that so that young people who are lost and engaged in gangs can find a community that really will restore them to the way God intended them. Not the community they found. Whatever the issues are, whatever you pray through and whatever you talk to people through to discern, really, it's about giving to support works that will engage those things. Support other organizations that are doing that work. Support missionaries like myself or people that you support as a church or, you know, that people that are out doing stuff do that. And I'm not asking for money here. You know what I'm saying? I'm, don't hear that. What I'm really saying is, who do you know that you can support who's doing this kind of thing? Okay? And then lastly is serve. The most important thing you can do is actually get out of your seat and serve by giving your own time and your own gifts. Because here's the reality. I know that there are some dreams inside some of you in here that are unrealized. Not just dreams of, I want my own business, but dreams of, God, I believe that you want to make an impact with my life. I believe that you want to make a difference through me so that people experience you in a powerful and a profound way. I believe that you want to use me, God, in ways that I can't even hope for, that are beyond my own expectations. I believe that you want me to do this. And so God is calling you to get up and to say, you know what? I'm going to move forward and I'm going to trust God that even if I don't think I can do it, even if I don't know where the money is going to come from, I'm going to step out in faith and trust you and know that you'll raise somebody up to walk with me so that I can leave the legacy that you want me to leave. Not for my glory, but for your glory. And I know that there are latent dreams all throughout this room of people just like me who said, at some time, I'm not sure if I can do this. I wasn't sure that I wanted to take a step and live life as a missionary and have to raise support. I'm used to the salary of a professional football player. <laughs> and then, a, well, a, 
sucky pastor's salary, you know. But it was still stable. You know, I knew it was coming. Missionary support, it's like, I hope they give this month. Oh, God. You know, that's not fun. But I said, okay, God, you know what? I'm pretty sure you're telling us to do this, so I'm just going to trust you and do this. There may be somebody in here who's called to be a missionary to your own city. Who's, there may be somebody in here who's called to get involved with an organization somewhere in the city that's doing something that you've got a passion for. My home church, Light and Life North in Long Beach, it's our home church, but this is my ministry. I'm not there building up church stuff, but we've embraced the fact that people like me are called to expand the church's kingdom influence throughout the area. And there's people in here who are probably called to do the same. Stop letting fear, uncertainty, or lack of finances hold you back from whatever it is that you are dreaming deep inside. As the worship team comes forward, what I'd like to do is just conclude with a, just a story of my toughest year as a professional football player in Canada. It was the 10th season. I had been a starter for my entire life. My entire, I had never, high school, college, professional, I had never been a backup. In my 10th year, I'm all of a sudden now a backup. And I've got to be honest with you, I was not happy about it. In fact, I can say I was quite a baby. I spent most of my time for a couple of months sulking and whining. Better than this fat guy over here. My buddy, great Christian friend of mine, he's still my best friend to this day. <laughs> One day, he just says, Dude, suck it up and quit whining, you big baby. You know, I'm like, he said, what, what is God calling you to do? What kind of witness is this? You know, I'm the team chapel leader and I'm the national player representative for Athletes in Action, right? And I'm just whining. I'm just sulking. I'm just... Mm, 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 mm. And through him, I realized that, you know what? Maybe God is preparing me for something else. And I only played one more year. But what I realized this season of being a backup was this, that God had placed me there to be an example for him and to build into the next generation of players, of young people on that team. And as soon as I stopped thinking it was about me and started investing myself in those God had placed in my sphere of influence, my entire season turned around. And strangely enough, that was the only season in my entire 11-year pro career in Canada that we won the championship. Now, I'm not so arrogant as to say that that happened because I changed my attitude. However, I believe it had an influence. And so the reality and what I'm really asking you to do here as I get ready to pray really quickly is this, is, is how is God calling me to change my posture and attitude and, and potentially the way I am engaging with those who need Jesus now? <laughs> 